0: I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. This is our last episode in our first season of the Accounting Leaders Podcast. We'll be taking a few weeks off over the holiday period before coming back next year to bring you more episodes, more conversations with the top leaders in accounting and for prizes, of course. I promise I won't fucking swear. I do hope that you've enjoyed learning from our guests as much as I have. I've been overwhelmed by the number of you who've been listening. We thought there might only be two, but there's way more than that, and all of your positive feedback. I can't wait to see you in 2022. But for now, please enjoy this discussion with Katya Maxson-Landis, the owner of Moxie Accounting out of Portland, Oregon. Katya is one of the very few women in the United States actively filing taxes for small cannabis businesses while educating other accountants in the field. A champion of fiscal literacy and best practices for the cannabis industry, she brings over 20 years of experience in accounting, bookkeeping, and administrative solutions for small business with a variety of structures. It is my pleasure to welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, Katya Maxon landis Katie Maxson-Landis, Megan Parrish from Moxie Accounting. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast. How are we? We
1: are lovely. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Right? <laughs> You're looking lovely. But wonderful to meet you. I, I don't think we've met in person. Who on the team have you worked with that rings a bell? Uh, Lachlan and
1: there's a woman, uh, Kelly, maybe? I can't remember. There's, all, God, there's many,
0: many, I hope. <laughs>
1: Truthfully, I utilize the project product. I'm happy to have the Carbon software to keep me organized, and I rely on the youth of tomorrow to deal with the technology of today. So, uh, someone smarter than me in technology has has interacted with you folks for real.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. And Moxie Accounting has a very unique niche where you're focused on the accounting in, in cannabis industry,
1: right? Correct. I've been. I'm a small boutique firm in Portland, Oregon. We are currently um, five, and I have been working with the cannabis industry since 2012, which is a couple of years before we in Oregon adopted the adult use regulations. We have had a medical program here for quite a number of years since the late 90s, and so and we have a very robust history in. Growing cannabis, Northern California, Southern Oregon—really, the pot central of the world. I think we can say.
0: Well, you know, the uh, excuse me for asking the obvious. How, how did you get into accounting for cannabis? I, I can understand you know why anybody would want to get into cannabis, but the, the actual accounting side of it is kind of fascinating, right? And there is your answer. It's
1: kind of fascinating, isn't it? Really, the accounting in general. I think it's safe to say, is not a spectacularly robustly interesting business for most. We are special folk. What I would say about accountants and what I like to say to accountants as often as possible in the educational program and cohort that I have is that we are spectacularly poised to be the strong, ethical, reasonable professional in the room for cannabis, because it is an industry unlike any other. This is the only industry in, as far as I know, the world that is currently enjoying such a disconnect from a tax standpoint between the federal and state positions that it involves really needing a robust tax professional in the room just to keep the industry alive. In short, because CPAs and and tax professionals, I'm assuming, are listening to this, this is a business that's taxed at gross profit, which is unheard of in that it is not a business that is not allowed for federal purposes to deduct its reasonable standard ordinary operating expenses. Because the government, the federal government, really wants to tax this industry to death. So the reason that I came to accounting for cannabis is because I'm smart and I'm interested in a solution-driven relationship with my clients. And accountants bring interesting solutions when we can take the tax law we understand and frame a business inside of the legal tax law in ways that will allow them really to remain in
0: operation. So I'm, I'm dumb. So, and you're smart. So... You're not dumb. That's, you're good. Accounting is hard. You're not dumb. Explain this for simple people like me. So you're saying that a perfectly legal operating cannabis grower or dispensary, I don't know, as the question, cannot... On their federal income tax return, their normal expenses for operating their business.
1: Correct. So in the United States, federal law always trumps state law. So if there's a fist fight, federal law gets to win automatically. And most all state tax returns begin their tax position using federal numbers. So we make the federal tax return first, because it's the big, the big elephant in the room, the big dragon, and then we have stat. A state position that follows. So, in a simple example, if a client has a million dollars of inventory, the cost to make that inventory and other expenses that are includable in what is called cost of goods sold is $500,000. We would normally say, hey, you did $500,000 of a really good job of selling your product, slow clap.
0: Yeah, there's your 50% margin going, or gross margin going fine.
1: Sure. So now we normally do not get taxed at gross profit. We normally go to the bottom line, right? Net income. We've got advertising. We have meals and entertainment. We have salaries. We have office supplies. We have podcasts with carbon. We have software. That's right. (laughs) So let's say that $500,000 is diluted by $400,000 of operating expense. And you and I and our normal businesses would get taxed on hundred thousand dollars, and we would expect our bank account to have a relationship to that hundred thousand dollars. The cannabis business, even though it has a relation, it's it's lack of a bank account, it's safe, has a relationship to that hundred thousand dollars. It's taxed at five hundred thousand dollars gross profit because the business. Of doing business, the SGA, the standard, the, the general operating expenses under federal law are not allowed because the federal government does not want you to have an operating cannabis business. It wants to consider you a drug dealer. So the long and short is in a scenario where at you know 21%. A hundred thousand dollars. A hundred thousand dollar business would have twenty one thousand dollars at five hundred thousand. You get to pay two hundred and seventy thousand dollars for that exact same business simply because the government doesn't like your inventory, despite the fact that many people in the country you
0: do. Have a very- <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah, particularly and, and especially some congressmen and things, people like that. Okay, so so well that makes it unviable because you, you're paying two hundred and ten thousand dollars tax on on a hundred thousand dollars essential profit. So I assume we're sort of talking growers here. Well, so what do growers do? Do they sort of have these sort of side businesses that, that they operate to pay to, to funnel their tax? How, how do you go about operating a successful growing business in that environment?
1: Well, that's really the complicated conversation. So in order to be able to do that legally, one of the easiest ways and one of the ways... Well, let me back up. For the sake of argument, consider, please... Something I often say to everyone I talk to about cannabis, but business owners specifically. Cannabis is built backwards and upside down from regular business and accounting and economic principles. So to answer your question, how does a grower, and I work with all growers, manufacturers, dispensaries, wholesalers, delivery, all of these. How does a grower stay alive per se? Well, by not growing, by not expanding their capacity, by not adding more inventory, by remaining small, by not building their brand. All of the things counter to what we would think of in a normal economy that you would want to do. So manufacturers as well, instead of adding multiple, multiple business lines and, and pushing out a ton of advertising and getting a lot of people on deck to be able to do that. Well, when you can only sell inside of the state that you are currently operating in, you cannot enjoy economies of scale. You can't have a central headquarter and then 17 different businesses all over the country. You actually have to locate each of those businesses in the exact state under different regulatory schemes in order to be able to go anywhere. So unfortunately, American cannabis... Canadian cannabis is different. Mexican cannabis is different because they've legalized. American cannabis does not, in fact, enjoy the privilege of being able to do business in a reasonable operational way because they are always trying to cut costs, to keep things slow. They are many of these businesses building their business on tax debt because they either have to accept predatory lenders that know that they cannot necessarily make it without a very high return, or they're having to play a long game, which is, again, counter to the normal economy. They're looking for low interest rates on high-risk debt. The United States normally doesn't work like that. They're looking for friends and family to liquidate their assets in order to be able to support their dream. They can't go lend, or, or, or they have to sell lots of equity in order to be able to even do what they've been passionate about and trailblazing to do. And why would anybody do this then in, in that environment? Well, this, quite frankly, is our tech boom. This is one of the newest emerging economy sectors that we've seen since the 90s. And more importantly, especially for the people that I work with, it is their passion. It is something they have trailblazed on. They believe that this is something that helps them. These are not people that believe that the medical benefits of cannabis are just untested or not real. They have had true conversion experiences. They are people who passionately believe that it is a solution For and an opportunity for many people to have a relief from an opioid or an ability to be able to manage their own health in ways that are true and honest. This is a very forthright and generous group of people that aren't just in to make a quick buck necessarily. And they're not nearly as jaded as a lot of the other larger, I mean, tech really has had a jaded position when You know, how many Amazons and and Facebooks and Instagrams and I mean, how many of those tech businesses really are around one in a thousand? I mean, at cannabis, you can still do what you're passionate about. And should the government get a sensible taxation regime in, you can make a living that's going to be doing something you love and still pay you. And I really believe those early adopters want to see the world of their compatriots have that experience.
2: If I can add as well, I think that tax, like we're accountants, we think about this tax all the time. But for these cannabis entrepreneurs, it's kind of this like invisible boogeyman. I don't think many folks are actually thinking about it, and a lot of
0: they don't think about the economics so much as as they're not as, really
2: realizing the kind of really disastrous <laughs> effects that it can have. And I think it's one of the real value adds that that accountants have for for people in the industry.
1: Well trained accountants, well trained. Accountants that understand that there is a very punitive tax code that they cannot let out of their sights. Code Section 280E really must be applied all the time. It's it's not a choice, it's the law, <laughs> you know, and if you want to be a business in a in an economy that has One foot in legality at the state level and one foot in illegality at the federal level. You really must you have to think about tax twice as much or three times more than you wanted to. And for the regular illicit economy economy people, that was never they're very comfortable not doing that. But there's no benefit in not paying taxes in this country. Yeah, you have money, but you have no credit score. You have no ability to be able to be proud of your business in, a, in an overt way. You can't participate in markets in the same way that many businesses can without the opportunity to be able to do, to, to, the opportunity to provide a tax return to someone is really an opportunity to be able to be in business in a lot of ways. If we had our druthers, you know, people would be
2: prioritizing the tax issue in the way that they do business. But of course, that's not the way things are. We find that people aren't giving that consideration.
1: Yeah, they do find that prioritization piece eventually because I do, I do focus or have in, in Oregon been focusing on the small under $5 million business that really is, has started maybe in an illicit position or in a medical position, which is pseudo-blessed. And it's really trying to move to a, a legality position. And the problem with that is if you have not filed your tax return for a number of years, first, we need to retrospectively, forensically reproduce you, which is takes time and money. But secondly, you have an overarching tax debt that the government really smacks down on you because it wants you to timely file these returns. And that number can bring some sticker shock to the reality that, you know, cannabis is much more expensive to produce in a taxed environment than an untaxed environment.
0: What's the pervasive view of where the tax is going to kind of end up? Do you think that that the people will, you know, ultimately win and cannabis will be seen as a as a legitimate business that it should, probably should? Well, don't worry about my morality. We're going the wrong way. If you worry about my morality in 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 tax law, but. Are they going to change this, do you think? Is that the long-term view?
1: For as much of a pessimist and a little black rain cloud as I am, because I am an accountant and I'm usually the big no and buzzkill in the room at every party.
0: <laughs> I don't think that's true. Is that true, Megan?
1: No, not at nah, all. See, that's not, not true. at all. <laughs> Cannabis is here to stay. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. I think that overarchingly the public sentiment in its very rapid shift from believing the garbage of the 50s drug war craze, cannabis craze, I think that as the population becomes more interested in revisiting its own choices in regard to its relationship to cannabis, I think that the government eventually is going to get on deck. The reality is that while I do not believe the government should move as slowly as it does, because it has so much power, it should not be making snap decisions. Business moves much quicker than government ever will. Unfortunately, government is very much you know, reactive to business instead of proactive, which I think is a terrible position, but is true. And I do believe that the, beha- that the real problem, that, that cannabis is going to be legalized. Not soon. I do think that we will have some banking and some financial position relief sooner than that, sooner than legalization, because the government needs a real sensible way to back out of the failed drug war with yeah. its with its ego or yeah, it's yeah. still in still
0: face. <laughs> so face. We, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. I mean, again, the government for good or bad, has had to manage a gigantic population of wet cats in this country. I mean, nobody agrees on anything. And, and really, I don't think that that's new. I think that that's, you know, I think that's been around for a long time. But I do think that there is a real opportunity for the government to learn from the failure of alcohol prohibition, both prohibiting it and then reintroducing it to the economy, in cannabis, The idea that when the federal government decides to come down from on high and bless legalization, that the illicit market or the untaxed market is going to vanish in lieu of of becoming involved in the regular economy is foolish. It's ridiculous. I don't care if you're a nail salon or a lawyer or a dog washing business or own a software company. Everybody chooses to file their tax return or not. And, and when people see a great amount of profit being able to be made, instead of in, if the federal government is going to continue to tax cannabis to death once it becomes legal, we will not see a large group of people jump on that bandwagon. So sensible, sensible is the word that I use. When we may see legalization far in advance of sensibility about legalization, in regard to tax law, because tax law is so controversial. But what I would like to say is that the government will wake up to the real opportunity and possibility that some, not all, not all, some of its tax woes can be redeemed by taxing cannabis sensibly. But nothing is going to change if we continue to punitively tax this environment the way we have this economy the way we have
0: i'm sure somebody's done the spreadsheet right you know punitive tax oh, i have tax. So many spreadsheets
1: <laughs> i've like
0: I bet, I, I bet. spreadsheets we love spreadsheets we're we love them sensible is a problem uh, when you're dealing
1: with something that has <laughs> such an inflammatory morality position attached to it alcohol again had the same problem with its both banning and then and prohibition and then readmitting into the economy
0: i was i was pretty young back in the in the early 19th to 20th century, I didn't see you a think, lot of problems. Yeah, I mean, the uh, well, 13th Amendment came That's in. Right, we all were yeah. like,
1: gosh, thank God we can have a drink now. Um,
0: no, it's not. My memory's hazy from that period.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I think that the concerns that that legalisation is going to immediately... Wipe out cartels, wipe out mafia, wipe out illicit market, wipe out, that's just not true. It didn't happen in, it hasn't happened any other way. And so I can't imagine that it's going to happen with a product that you can literally grow in your backyard. We can't grow beer in our backyard or uh, I won't do the work for cigarettes in my backyard either. So I really think that, you know, there is an opportunity to be able to have some coming together about this, this part of the economy that the government right now is missing I think the Booker-Schumer-Wyden bill is a good try and a start, and at least the conversation has been opened. I have a lot of issues with it, but we have to start talking to each other without insulting each other in order to make change.
0: Well, two questions. What the hell is the Booker-Schwyman bill, and, and is that what it was called? And then the other one was, you know, like somebody must have sort of worked out that, you know, taxing the industry sensibly should be way more profitable For the federal government, than you know, leaving punitive tax in place and essentially deeming the industry illegal.
1: Let's take them in reverse order. No, is the answer to that. Here is a problem when you've got a uh, at-will taxing regiment. So we are. We are required to file a tax return, but there is no government way that we force force, force you to do that. We really so we we have very much a punitive taxation structure where because the IRS, in my opinion, incorrectly has been defunded for so long, we have an inability to be able to have a compliance regimen on this gigantic country that is proactive. Again, we are very reactive. Reactive in tax means fine means penalty means, you know, to beat with a stick after the fact instead of try to reach across an aisle and bring sensibleness to that environment. So, you know, I'm sure that I am sure that someone has made a spreadsheet at the federal government level that said it's always more profitable to tax a business at gross profit if we can catch them than net income if we invite them to the table. But in, in the short term, In the short term, in the long term, if you want a robust, functioning, contributing economy to come from cannabis, you must treat them with the same dignity and respect that other businesses enjoy. They deserve it. You know, we can say what we will about strip clubs or prostitution or, you know, any number of other uh, sin environments or businesses that are not taxed at taxed at gross profit and even though we might might or might not like the product they have the respected privilege of being taxed at gro- at net income not at gross profit
0: gambling <laughs> another one well
1: again it's more profitable to be a prostitute in this country than illegally than it is a state legal cannabis business from a tax standpoint. There's just something downright wrong with that. Again, I am the not the person that says that prostitution should be taxed either. You we're adults. Hey, come on. But you know, again, where the government extends its tax courtesy or discourtesy is of a lot of importance to me because I am not a finger of the IRS when I provide your tax return to you I am your partner but I must do that in a way that's conservative consistent defensible to both my license and to the laws uh, of the country so it puts the practitioner in a really difficult spot when I have to hand you know a 25 year old kid a a half a million dollar tax bill because he's doing something he loves. And looks I have had this experience where they're look, they have tears in their eyes. How am I going to make it? I got to shut down and go into the illicit market because the government won't give me my due. I mean, he tried to do it right. He tried to do it right. And I haven't seen him again. But boy, you know what? I would have, I could have, I have a thing or two to say to the government and the Booker-Schumer-Wyden bill, if we're going to do these questions in reverse, the Booker-Schumer-Wyden bill is the current incarnation of a number of bills that have passed the House or have been introduced in the Senate in the last several years that are trying to create the sensible bridge or a bridge, sensible maybe is far uh, a bit of a stretch, a bridge between the illicit position that cannabis has sort of been trapped in because of this government failed drug war, in my opinion, and where the population wants to see it come to, which is into the environment as something that is regulated, is tested, is safe, is has boundaries. It needs good legal boundaries. There are people making very unsafe products out there and the FDA and and the like need to get in there and protect the public interest without a doubt. Good growers have no fear of that. If you have an opportunity to be able to bring the people who really wanna make this industry the the sparkling gem it can be, if you can bring those people into the room with the politic, you're gonna be able to be, get somewhere. But this country can't seem to do anything reasonable in that regard right now. So I I don't see the I don't know what the roadmap is, but unfortunately it's going to have some wreckage on it along the way to get where we need to go. But the first thing we need to do is pass something, much like the Affordable Care Act showed us that once you pass something, it's very hard to take it away. We need to get something passed that protects small business, that 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 dictates that this is an agricultural cultural product, that it needs to have sensible testing and be made safe for an uneducated population. I mean, there are real good reasons to partner with the government in that regard.
0: What's the reception? For, you know, I'm sure there's industry lobby groups and, you know, a huge sort of groundswell of support for sensible taxation or sensible embracing by the government. What What's the reception? Is there just too much else on the plate of the government to deal with it, or do you think we're making progress?
1: Yes and no. We are making progress because bills continue to be introduced and the conversation is still on people's lips. We are not making progress when giant corporate special interests drive the conversation to try to protect what they potentially will see as their market share in this environment, especially pharmaceutical, because the small business, the small grower, has been the intellectual property engine powerhouse of this industry, and it is it deserves to be it deserves to be protected and taken care of, and and big. In- it's
0: kind of like Etsy for pots. You know, there's there's sort of these a lot of boutique individual growers that make up a, a huge industry, yeah.
1: Absolutely. And and really, you know, the problem with many of the tax regimen schemas that have come out, they are trying to allow big business to dictate the terms under which cannabis can be brought into this economy. And, the, and I am and will go to my dying breath as being a champion for the small business. I think that it is the engine of the cannabis economy for sure, whether or not you want to argue it is for the regular economy is moot. But in the cannabis industry, you know, it has been individuals that have been willing to take this risk to save and honor the growing and, and use of it it has been the indiv- at the individual level and at the patient grower relationship level where different medical uses have been explored and i mean a little girl named charlotte is part of the reason that we're all here in that sh- her seizures were relieved by a cbd product and and with a potential entourage effect of the thc in- included in that plant but they provided a real tangible I can point to this little girl and see that it works, you know, story that we can all rally behind. And would it not have been for the valiant, you know, continued pushing a a rock uphill like Adonis, you know, of that group looking for solutions for these people to have health benefits be, be made available to a child. We really would not be here. They have done, Charlotte's Web is an honour to that that client or that child and the, the people who created it to a journey that cannot be made into some sort of, you know, corptocracy ad campaign and pushed down our throats. It's just disrespectful, you know.
0: Give us a couple of stories about about, you know, clients that you've seen work through this, Process and that have become successful and, and are having, in probably enjoying what they're doing as you describe their passion. And what's some good news stories, good news clients that, uh, that come to mind?
1: Well, if we strip the tax out of it, almost all of them are good. You know, I mean, again, I think that you know what I have had the privilege of doing is working with. Well, let me also say, most people never want the good stories; they want the they want the horror stories. So oh, not I'm rare. We're, we're, this, I'm we're a good news the podcast. Question, here. <laughs> the question in the first place, but uh, what I have had is what I've had is really the privilege of being able to introduce a population of people that either have been dismissive of tax or are afraid of a part of the normal economy to something that can be palatable and can be actually a business, can help their business in ways than rather than just make a tax bill. So, you know, what I have enjoyed about working with this population is that there's behind every cannabis product someone uses is someone who is excited about being able to walk into their grow every day or extract, you know, a product and try different modalities and or ways to be able to consume, to be able to think about the next way to Build a strain to cross-breed things in order to be able to make, you know, something that smells differently or has a different terpene profile to it. Those are the parts of the this job that I didn't think I'd care about, that I would be so happy to um, go to some of my growers, especially in January, February, March, because they're under full spectrum lights. They are happy, they're getting yeah, their yeah. vitamin D. They are happy to. Here, There's really something about, I am not a large consumer of cannabis, but there's really something about this plant that can kind of keep you honest. It's not as jaded. The ability to be able to help clients find the smaller places to expand their businesses instead of just at a whole facility. Oh, explain to to nine states. That is a real different thought process for CPAs as advisors, because we're looking for the micro nuance in things. We're looking for the micro pivot instead of a big macro, you know, let's try to take over the whole economy with our, you know, one brand. So, I mean, I have hundreds of stories of cannabis people, if you, you know, depending upon... Yeah, let's let's do it.
2: From an accounting perspective, I think a lot of your great stories come from the fact that cannabis has unique challenges when they're entering, taking care of their financials, cash handling and documentation and that kind of stuff. And so where that intersects with, with our office, I think, is where a lot of the interest, interesting stories come from. Well, the classic one that you tell is one of your very early clients who you said, bring in your bookkeeping when you come to my office. And this gentleman brought a bag of Post-it notes. That was his bookkeeping, was all of his notes written on Post-its. And if I remember the story correctly, it's color-coded, right? I was not there at this time, yeah.
1: Yes, the very first client that I started working with, because I am a bookkeeper and a CPA, and I came from a firm where I audited for several years. In my past, I also ran a... uh, a number of criminal defense law firms. So I I issue spot like a lawyer and I talk like an accountant and I used to be a bartender and I have a degree in theater. So I'm really funny. So I can make it kind of palatable if I need to. So I had a conversation with a gentleman back in 2012. He said, I'm going to put a medical dispensary together. And my lawyer, who was a criminal lawyer at the time, said that you would help me. I was also like nine months pregnant and I I really chalk up my relationship with cannabis and getting involved with the cannabis business industry to just being insane because I was pregnant. And so I said, great, bring me all, you know, I was a young CPA at the time. I had been doing accounting since 1997, but really, you know, had just gotten my CPA in 2011. I had been in a public firm for seven years and left. And I, you know, bring me your books, bring me your, your accounting documentation, and I'll do this for you. Well, I sent my assistant at the time because, again, I was nine months pregnant and didn't want to go into cannabis dispensary thinking that <laughs> God, <laughs> all they're doing is just smoking a bunch of weed in there or whatever. You know, I, mean, I didn't
0: know. Your son or daughter is is fine these days. It's no problem.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't want to subject my daughter. I didn't want to subject my daughter to, you know, the that, that, That's that, right. that yeah. terrible weed, right? Um, in utero. And um, which is a myth by the way, FYI. But you know, I, I sent my assistant over there and she came to the house and she said, Well, I don't know if you're gonna like this. And I said, What do you mean? And she held up two two-gallon plastic ziploc bags that were filled to the brim, stuffed, like you couldn't close them with different colored post-it notes. Where every seven days, they had stuck the post-it notes together and then just stuck them in the bag. They had the amount of sales that they had done that day. And only about half of them had dates. And there were not 365 of them or 360 or however many days this business has been open. And there were no expenses. So this was what this gentleman thought was his bookkeeping. And I said, oh, my God, I don't know if I can do this. And she said, no, no, no. Let me see if I can make this sensible. I need to go back in my Facebook. I think I have it somewhere. I have. She later, about two hours later, sent me a panoramic picture of her apartment where she had taken down all (laughs) of the pictures off the wall and she had put all the sticky notes of the same color in or date you know yeah. depending on yeah. her panoramic wall and she said this is the accounting yeah well oh,
0: we we should all do it that way maybe
1: <laughs> and then the next picture she sent me was her a picture of her hand with a big pot bud and two joints and a baggie that had some weed in it also because it was, it was this, in the bottom of the bag <laughs> It was in the bottom of the bag because the industry, uh, all the time, people in the industry are always like, here, try my weed, try my weed to see if I can get it in your dispensary. And he had just accepted these samples and sort of stuck it in this bag because it might have just been in his car or something at the time. And she said, and she said, do I have to give this back to the client? (laughs) And so that was my first experience. My first experience really was, wow, these guys don't know what accounting is like at its most fundamental level.
0: Maybe it was a deliberate pl- strategy, right? Like the government can't tax it.
1: No, it was not a deliberate strategy.
0: It wasn't? No. <laughs> giving him too much credit, yeah.
1: <laughs> I, had, I had been in a public accounting firm for seven years when, when you ask somebody for their bookkeeping documentation, they show up with a stack of bank statements and their credit card statement and a stack of maybe cash receipts that, that they paid for out of pocket and maybe you know their line of credit or what. But they have documents. This guy didn't have a bank account. The very first time I actually went to his dispensary, once I realized that you can't smoke weed in it, I asked him for, at the time, what I thought was an amazing thousand dollar retainer. And he was like, oh, sure. And he leaned over yeah. to his gun safe yeah. <laughs> that's sitting next to him. And he, boop, 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 yep. you know, opened the thing. And there was something like $180,000 in 20s in
0: it. Yeah.
1: And he just pulled out a $1,000 and threw it out. And I thought to myself, okay, I got to, well, I, gotta, enough, yeah. I, gotta, I gotta, like, A, where did that money come from? Yeah. And B, holy shit, why where is there all the so guns? much money sitting in the, you know? And so, but yet, you know, here's the next story. The next dispensary that I sat down to have a consultation with was run by a very interesting man, about four or eight blocks from the first one. And he had been in business for about three years and I walked into his office and his desk was in the center of the office and around the entire outside of the walls surrounding his office was a stack of paper, probably two and a half feet high for every, it was every single piece of paper that he had ever, every transaction, every sale, every vendor he had worked for in in paper form organized by month and date. <laughs> He's around need <laughs> he had a bigger office. He had every single piece of paper wow. that he had ever had and it was as overwhelming as two bags of post-it notes, you know, yeah. because yeah. He, where do I start? So there are and he too had a safe with a tremendous amount of money in it. I don't remember how much, yeah. but you know, it became very clear very quickly that these guys have a very different set of problems, both accounting, security, cash control, environmental than than I had ever experienced coming out of seven years of auditing assisted living and skilled nursing facilities for financial statement purposes.
0: Yeah, (laughs) they don't have gun safes full of cash. It's at at the old people's home.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and so, you know, I have gone to growers up in the hills that have acres of weed and and 15 dogs and shotguns and and problems i have gone to facilities where you have to put the booties on and the head for the clean room and go through that i mean i have been in multi-million dollar facilities and i have been in people's you know houses where they've gutted the whole inside and the growers sleeping on a couch and everything is <laughs> just inside of a home you know uh With the big because,
0: electricity bill
1: <laughs> yeah because they that's how they've been able to make the ends meet or that's where the environment is so you know there's lots of very innovative places that oh yeah back. you got
0: you gotta innovate in that environment right has the banking in, improved at all can these guys get banked now at least
1: at the local level, often there are three different, three or four different smaller businesses, uh, smaller mostly credit unions that are being that have chosen to work with cannabis. Big banks, no. There's still a lot of federal uh, money laundering and, and uh, controls over that that they are very concerned about. The problem with banking for cannabis is that. Like many other things related to cannabis, there is a very high cannabis tax going on. So your normal bank account, you think, oh, it costs me $15 a month or $0 a month to have a banking privilege. For most of my cannabis clients, that's $400 or $1,000.
0: Just to have a bank account for your business?
1: Just to have a
2: bank account. And we've heard it's even more on the East Coast. They charge even more.
0: Really? There's problems at every turn, right?
1: <laughs> yes. Well, there's. I then and then how do you make your payroll uh, taxes when you're supposed to be using EFPTS? How do you pay for your federal tax obligations when you're unbanked? Where do you pay for your state sales tax? I literally have clients that make appointments with the the Oregon Department of Revenue to bring 60000 dollars in cash to Salem. I mean, there are real concerns that if the government was actually putting its money where its mouth is and really didn't want there to be organized crime in relationship to cannabis, you'd let them bank. That's that's the way you protect. (laughs) Cash money is very easy to create an organized crime syndicate around, but banking is not as easy. So not to say that there's not white collar crime, there's a ton of it, but it's just harder you know the more that we would have a paper trail and this is what we really strive for in accounting is to create that defensible paper trail that's going to allow me to be comfortable enough to say i'm not i'm not signing a fraudulent tax return i'm signing a tax return that's consistent conservative defensible because You know, if you can't tell me where that $100,000 went, sir, you still owned it. You, You earned that money, but you don't get a tax deduction for it. And that right away will get people really making better documentation down the road. You have to be willing to have difficult conversations with clients about that sort of stuff and educate them in a way that's not insulting. Accounting is very difficult and it's insulting to me that, you know, H&R Block or or Intuit says, you know, or Trump, it's a postcard, it's easy, anybody can do it. Anybody who's done accounting knows that not anybody can do it, <laughs> at least not well, you know, in my mind, so...
0: We're coming up on time, Katie but and Megan, but uh, we, I know it's gone quick, hasn't it? You've got a course or an education program that you help other accountants become educated in the cannabis industry, accounting for the cannabis industry. Do you want to tell us about that?
1: Absolutely. I would love to. So back in 2012, again, here I started this journey into trying to figure out how to be able to work with the industry and be of service to them. And I really began to realize as I looked for professional education, which is how you create, you know, your body of knowledge, if you're going to bring in a niche to a practice. I looked for professional education and there really wasn't any out there. I started researching and reading, kind of backing into some of the tax court cases that had happened, only about two of them at that time, and realized over the course of one, two, three, four, five years of working, you know, that there really wasn't a place I could get good answers. And I was coming up upon very complicated accounting issues I was asking other accountants about, and they were reticent to give me advice because they didn't want to advise me on something they didn't understand. So through a lot of Research and process, and talking with tax attorneys, and coming to a decision, and reading court cases. We, you know, in 2020, I finally said, "Okay, uh, you know, I got to do this." I produced a, a NASBA certified, so that's the National Accounting Standards Board certification program for accountants to be able to take a eight week course to go from how to integrate cannabis into your practice or consider. Making a practice in cannabis through the pinch points that I had hit with my actual practice, with my license, with creating engagement letters and insurance and all those things to then finding clients, interviewing clients, finding out the real deep stories behind those clients so that I didn't engage with somebody that was behaving in a way that I didn't want to get behind to then being able to say, how do I educate my clients and myself on the documentation I need and all those sorts of things to then move to what is your tax position based on current tax law? And then how do you finally squeeze 1987 tax code into a 2020 tax program, which doesn't like to be overwritten. And we as accountants really try not to override our tax program because that's scary for us. So, so, you know, it is the place that I wish I would have had when I got into cannabis to be able to have open conversations. Megan has really been instrumental in bringing a community to the forefront where people can come and have open office hours so that you can come to a virtual type water cooler if you get paralyzed about a question. And you can ask me or other people that have have maybe encountered that question uh, for what they did, the facts and circumstances. And it gives you a real time place to have professional education in a way that normally professional education isn't brought to you in a dynamic, conversant, always respectful and moving place.
2: One of my favorite things about the cohort, just having just discussed different clients that Katie's had, is that we take a lot of that information and we redact everything. But a lot of the client stories that Katie's had over the years, and we use that in our course for participants to come and say, oh, how did this company go through the entity selection process? And the kinds of like real world things that have come up and it helps people really be able to dissect that the course material in a way that's very practical. And it's one of the funnest things for me is getting to write those stories and create those stories with Katie to help people better understand tax for cannabis.
1: We have to recognize and respect the theory, but the reality is we're in practice. Practice means we actually have to do the thing that we're talking about. So, you know, because because my firm has actually done tax work for the last nine years and advisory work and entity work and, you know, forensic work and legal support work, uh, we have the ability to be able to speak to many I'm always surprised at, you know, the question that pops up I've never heard before, but we, we can speak to many of the issues. I love the question that I've never heard before because it, again, reignites my passion for the thought process that goes into what makes accounting for cannabis so interesting.
0: I think the the next cohort starts in November, doesn't it? To November 16 by the looks if if my um if, if my website capabilities are, are, haven't haven't <laughs> left me yet the um, a plus uh, go, a plus go go to the moxieaccountant.com slash cohort did I get that right
1: yes moxie accountant or moxieaccounting.com will both get you those places but yes or reach out to Megan directly she's lovely she does bite. But, she is lovely. Know.
0: She She's, is lovely yeah. now, now that we've spent the hour together. <laughs> Katie, Max and Landis, and Megan, Brosh, uh, thank you so much. From the Moxie account, thank you so much for spending time together with me and all of us on the Accounting Leaders podcast.
1: Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. I'd love to just say, you know, the it was not until 2019 that I went paperless, and one of the real impetuses is to be able to go paperless in my firm, which thank God I did for 2020, was carbon, and and Megan was really part of the uh, she I did am all the, the research, one who, who
2: researched and shopped for carbon, so I do take that credit, yes. <laughs>
1: And she did all the research and really brought that to my attention for, for what practice software could be. And as you know, a, a lover of paper and a Luddite in technology, I, I've been reticent. I'm getting better. But I really have had an, a, a remarkable experience transitioning to uh, being able to have my practice be sensible to me because of Carbon's uh, way of organizing things and the amount of education either pushed on me or offered to me, um, that your back end team has provided. And it's been a real, it's been lovely to put, I've put two different new staff through it. They've had equally good experiences, uh, without having had all the research time that Megan had behind it. And it's, it's been a real pleasure to be able to utilize a product that I really didn't think I needed. And now, uh, really couldn't do without, frankly.
0: Our job is to make your job easier. That's why we exist, and so you can, uh, you know, get back some time and and you know do do whatever it is you feel appropriate with that time, whether it's work harder or or spend it with the family. That's the bit we prefer. We we would much prefer. <laughs>
1: Well, it's been really nice because we do not use a product like Slack or otherwise to be able to communicate with each other inside of the program with the actual piece of information attached to it. There's a lot less uh, telephone, as it were, because I can just tag somebody in a note or, or we can have a conversation about how to move a project down the road because the content is not divorced from the conversation. So that's been a real value to me in a lot of ways.
0: We spend a lot of time thinking about that and trying to meet your, you know, have you meet your client, or in in the product, have you, have you meet your client in the product where the client's going to be? Whether that's, you know, we we want to get obviously email is you know ninety percent of it, but you know, Zoom integration and calendar integration and text integration, wherever your client is is you know is is where we want to help you uh, communicate with them. So you you know, there's huge things happening next year, and uh, we will. Um, we would love you guys to do a case study if you haven't done one already. If, uh, if, if Lockie could reach out and do that, that would be wonderful.
1: Oh yeah. I'd, I mean, I don't even know what that is, but sure. We'd be happy to do a case study. I mean.
0: We'll come up to Oregon and um, uh, smoke a few joints and do a case study. How's that?
1: Oh gosh. Well, I won't be smoking a few joints with you because I have an actually an allergy to
0: THC. Oh, but, there you go. <laughs> um, I Wait, Wait, was? Gonna... I, that's, I, that's I, like, that's like being a vet with with uh, cat allergies. <laughs> I, it, it really
1: is. It's funny. I know
2: someone called Katie cannabis Katie not long ago, <laughs> and I just thought cannabis Katie was hilarious. But the irony there is that poor Katie never never smokes. Nope. cannabis. I'm one
1: of the few yeah. people that's actually like poisoned myself with CBD. Uh, it's I, I I'm actually a delicate flower <laughs> despite my loud uh, grandioseness. I, I love me a microdose, but give me one one milligram that that's where we can go with all this, so you know it's uh, very, very small. but I appreciate the plant and its people, so you know I, I've become an unintentional advocate as it were.: That's great.
0: It's a wonderful story and and so much uh, thank you so much for sharing that with us and uh,
1: Oh, I appreciate you having me on.
0: Let's chat some more uh, over the over the coming months and years and and uh i'm sure you'll grow your grow your business and and uh if there's anything we can ever do to help please don't hesitate to reach out
1: absolutely i mean i can talk about cannabis for 100 hours so you you know it's all good
2: it's true don't get her started (laughs) yeah
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a 1,000 free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you on the next episode of the Accounting Leaders podcast.